Hey, this is Chris Sanchez, and you're listening to Factually Speaking, a CastBox original podcast. The show where we talk about interesting facts with interesting people. Hey guys, welcome back to Factually Speaking. My name is Chris Sanchez, and I'm here with Rafael Casal. He is a star of Blind Spotting. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> Happy Thank Friday. You. Thank you for having me. Uh, so your movie has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know what that means. It means a lot of white critics like <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> you know, like it means a lot of white male critics like it, which is fantastic. You know, yeah, that's I'm so excited that I think it's it's fa- I think it's Fandango that owns Rotten Tomatoes. Right. They're adding 200 new critics of color to their mm-hmm. Group, so right after our movie comes out, so I'm just glad that like we survived the era before that. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's great. I, you know, that's how I I check a movie if I'm on the fence about it. I'm like, okay, well, it's got above eighty, so yeah, that's not a total waste of my money. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, so I'll take that. It was great. I loved it. I Thank was lucky you, enough man. to go see a screening of it a few months ago, and it was it was awesome. Um, not you know, it was. It was better than I expected, not because I expected it to be not good at all, but just because I was like, wow, like I didn't even feel like I knew you when you were oh, in the that's it was just it was so good. Um, so what was the process like for not just creating this movie, but a movie in general? Most of the people listening have never probably been in a movie slash been in the front end of making one happen. So, yeah, what's the deal with that? How did that happen? I, I wish there was some version of of this story that was like. You know, this I met this person, and then a month later we were making a movie and we wrote this thing, and it was all the world. It was 10 years, it took 10 years to make. Wow. Uh, we started, me and David started writing this when I was 22. Um, and that was two years after I met the producers through my DMs on YouTube, which most people don't even know that there are DMs on YouTube. Yeah. That's how long ago this was. This was <laughs> the only DMing that was happening. <laughs> Um, but uh, uh, our producers, Jess and Keith Calder, Jess Calder specifically slid in my DMs off of some YouTube videos that I posted of poetry and performances and was like, do you do you think this kind of writing would work in a film? And I'd, I had thought of that, but I'm like a 20-year-old in the Bay Area at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, no one's making movies. Like, the few people that have come out of our high school and gotten famous are still only barely famous doing a thing. Like we're all trying to like find a way to do something on a, on a mainstream level, but no one had made a movie. Yeah. No one had even made a short film that everyone had seen, you know? Um, so it was like, yeah, sure. You know, they came up to, they, they then came up to the Bay area. We like sat and talked about movies. I was like, Oh my God, they're like real producers. They've actually made a a movie at the time. Now they've made 20 movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but then uh, I think two years later, I introduced them to David and was like, you know, I think we should all make a movie together. And, and, and then we just started trying to figure out what kind of a film we wanted to make. And we knew we wanted to do something about the Bay area. We knew we wanted to talk about, um, police violence because Oscar Grant had just happened. And, um, and we knew we wanted to talk about gentrification because Oakland was completely changing. And all of that uh, felt like the right melting pot. We knew it was going to be me and David in it because we're, we're vain and self-involved. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, well, if we're going to get to make a movie, damn it, we're going to be in this we're shit. Gonna stars. We're not going to cast somebody else <laughs> that, that looks like us. <laughs> Why would we do that? But it also makes sense to be so familiar with a character that you guys are developing. You're both from the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the fun, right? It's like you'll there are certain you, if you're a performer, if you're an actor, 
you read stuff all the time and you're like, you're trying to find a, a, like a sincere into a character that feels like something you can pull off. And usually when that happens is when it's, it's in any way close to an aspect of your life that you can like exploit mm-hmm. and relate to and turn to a full character. But you're always, you're always fishing in a bucket that's like rarely going to give you something like that. Yeah. So to be able to write something that's like, oh, I know this character. I grew up with this guy. I can give you the, I can not only give you this, but I can actually probably do it better than anyone else. That never happens. Yeah. So I think that's why we sort of always stuck with it as something that we would do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, last year we were coming off of Diggs was all on these TV shows off of Hamilton and, yeah, um, for those of you who don't know, Daddy Daddy Diggs, Diggs was in Hamilton. He was in. He played Lafayette and Jefferson in, in the original uh, Broadway run of Hamilton and got a Tony for it. Very cool dude. Cash. Casual. Cash. He was delivering tacos before that. Let's just be clear. Was he actually? <laughs> was he actually? We, all, we all were doing very bummy things not too long ago. Because um, that's what it is to be an artist <laughs> in Los Angeles. Um, but I, I was watching the. We'd, we'd almost made the film three or four times. I was watching the Oscars. Um, and Moonlight won, mm-hmm. and I was a little drunk. And um, they and won I, the second time, right? This was it. yeah. This was the yeah. I was, was drunk. La La Land won, and we were like, oh, yeah. terrible. They're like, no, actually, Moonlight won. We're like, hey! you know, had this like visceral reaction. And I drunk texted the producers, and I was like, you know, we have a movie that we sort of love as much as they love Moonlight. I wish we had made it, or something like that. Something sort of passive aggressive uh-huh. like that. And they texted me the next day and were like, are you serious? Like, would you still make this movie? And I was like, absolutely. We didn't, we didn't fall out of love with it. We just thought you guys, we had tried yes, to make it so many years times. later. This is nine years later. That's nuts. Um, and they flew out to New York like two days later and, and like essentially like put the money on the table. And we're like, we can make this in the next two months if you want to. And then Diggs got on board. We went and got our friend Carlos, the director on board. And then like, I think two days after that, I was in LA rewriting the script for like the ninth time to get it ready to shoot it two months later. How much of the script did you have? You had the entire script, the entire movie. Yeah, we had a really shitty, like, four-year-old or three-year-old version of it at that point that was... We were just better writers at mm. this point and better actors and had a better understanding of the world and the nuance of race politics in this country. And it was like, well, this needs a f- this needs to get fully gutted. Um, and so it, I, Diggs was on the road and was doing TV stuff and couldn't really sit in a room and write with me. But I was like, I'll go to L.A. I'll write for the month. I'll call you, you know, in the middle of the night whenever I have questions or I have things that I'm adding to the script that are like way off the beaten path of what we did before. And then we would just sort of talk in theory about what the film was doing. And then I'd get back to writing. And a month later, we had a script. Everyone came out to do a reading. We were like, oh, shit, like this is shootable. And then we were in Oakland like three weeks later. That's crazy. How long did you guys shoot for? 22 days. 22 days plus a reshoot of five because I got a concussion. How did you get a concussion? <laughs> While filming? While filming. The second to last day, there's a, there's a scene in the movie where Miles gets tackled mm-hmm. at, a, at a party after he, after he decks somebody. And um, we just didn't have a lot of time to get ready for that. I mean, 22 days, we didn't have time for anything. And the pad we were using was like a almost like a wrestling mat pad, and the driveway was sloped. Uh, so when the pad I, on the floor, the pad on the floor, <clears throat> yeah, the, the the falling pad. So I had like I had like gear on me to take hits and stuff. But when I fell back, I didn't tuck my chin in the back of my head, hit the mat, and my grill popped out of my mouth. And then uh, and then what proceeded was me sort of coming to in an ambulance. <laughs> 
And Diggs is there. Diggs is the only person who run in the ambulance with me. That's a good friend. Yeah. <laughs> when your best friend is the star of the movie and he's like, I'm going in the ambulance. <laughs> and, uh, and then for like three hours, I was on this like one minute loop. So I would like come to and I'd look at Diggs and be like, Diggs, what are we, what's going on, man? And I'd lost two years. So he would be like, oh, we're, we're in Oakland shooting our movie and you got hurt. I'd be like, what movie? <laughs> Wait, so to your memory. My memory. So we lost. So I, I moved to New York for two years while Diggs was doing Hamilton. We had, we had, he had gotten a Tony and been in Hamilton at that time. I didn't know any of that. The last memory I had was he had just gotten Hamilton and moved to New York and I still lived in LA. So we had lost two years, him getting awards, us rewriting the movie, us being in Oakland shooting the movie. I knew none of this. So he kept having to break the news to me. <laughs> which was like really excited yeah, over yeah, and over Which again. was awesome. He would be like, we're shooting a movie. What movie? Blind spotting. And that's a new title. That's a that's like within the last years. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I was like, oh, it's our movie. The working title was always running down. It was like, it's running down. And I was like, oh shit, we're shooting that in Oak. Are we in Oakland right now? Yeah. How's the movie? He's like, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm like, are we in it? Yeah, what? We're in the movie. And I would like start looking at my like, am I in wardrobe? Right now? <laughs> yeah. And is- then a minute later it would go away and I'd do it again. And this went on for like three hours. Uh, and then finally I started to get my memory back. But that meant that you can't work after that something like that happens. Like they have to come and do an assessment. You have to get a doctor's note to work again. So the insurance sort of covers a few like reshoot days. And so we went back in August and we had like four days of reshoot. Okay. So it was like 26, 26 shooting days at the end of it all. And you had done most of the movie before this happened. So that's why. Yeah. Second, you were second able to last day this happened. We were rushing at that point anyway, so I think, like, no one wants to say Rafa, like, getting a concussion and losing his memory and, you know, almost having, like, whatever serious brain damage right. is a blessing, but it kind of was because the movie's so much better because of it. I mean, four extra days of shooting is, like... Yeah. That's monumental. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I wouldn't take it back. How long did it take f- for you to gain your memory of those two years? I think I had it by, like, 5 a.m. I think it happened at, like, 1 okay. a.m. I think by 5 a.m., I was strolled out of the hospital, like, pretty okay. Okay. And then, like, for a week or two, I, like, kind of had to, like, sit weird. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's just all this. It's so funny. Like, you don't have to do anything to hurt your entire body. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Like, all you have to do is, like, fall and, like, not try to catch yourself at all. And you're messed up for weeks. Yeah. And that's like part of that is being in your thirties, <laughs> but part of that is just like the body is actually just not that tough. No, it's it, it's not. I, I just I watch dudes and like you know MMA fighting and just getting their like heads bashed in. And I'm like I don't one of those, yeah, <laughs> one of those, and I'm done. I don't understand how you get hit like 15 times and then you're doing like a press conference afterwards. Like how many drugs are you on? Yeah, it's it's I I can't even imagine last last year I was at the beach and this massive like wave hit me and like I had a partial MCL tear in my left knee. And I was like couldn't walk properly for three months and it still hurts. I'm like all because of like a fucking wave. Yeah. (laughs) No, but that is that's crazy. Even the fight scene in the movie where like like they're. And I, I saw some really violent fights growing up and I was in a few of them. And we were like, let's try to keep this fight relatively grounded. Like just a, just like one or two punches beyond what would really happen. Mm-hmm. Just so it's heightened. It feels like a movie, but it's not like some ridiculous action sequence. And even that, when I watch it back, I'm like, Miles is my, like, Miles can take so many hits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other dude can take so many hits. They're like, they get hit three or four times in the face and they're still wrestling. I'm like, no, if that, yeah. if that punch crossed me in the face, I'm done. Done. I'm done. 
How did uh, you and David meet each other? We met, um, we met at, at a poetry slam in high school. Sounds so nerdy. What was the, oh, I think I remember maybe Niley was telling me about this group. Well, not, yeah, so not like Niley and like even, you know, even even like Niles and and David and all like the, all, there was there was this there was this little movement that happened at Berkeley High the, this like poetry slam thing that just got really popular, um, and so it, it was one of these weird things where like we you know in the in the Midwest you go to a high school and the football it's like everyone goes to the football mm-hmm. game. That's not really how it is in the Bay unless the team is really really good or like Marshawn Lynch is playing for your high school team, which like everyone went to those games, mm-hmm. but like. The poetry slam was this thing where like three to five hundred high school kids would show up. Um, and so me and people like Niley and a bunch of our other friends were all a part of this first sort of wave of teenagers who would like write for two weeks and then show up to the poetry slam and read something and try to win the money and go to nationals and try to get national titles. And like, and we, you know, once a year would sell out San Francisco opera house. And like there was this whole poetry movement happening in the Bay and David was a senior when I was a freshman. So he was like the first, first group that were like getting it started. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it got popular, he went off to Brown and me and like all of my peers sort of got it to a place where, where eventually some of us got like me and Chinaka and a few other people got cast on HBO's Deaf Poetry out of our, essentially our high school poetry slam. Um, and so he and I met there. And then when he got back from Brown, at that point, I'd been touring for three or four years and had a recording studio in North Oakland. And I was looking for artists and he had like really gotten into rap music at that point. And, uh, and we had a mutual friend and they were like, David's like a really good rapper. And I was like, poet, theater, David, like, play doing yeah. david I'm like yeah, yeah yeah he's like a really good rapper now and they played me his shit and i was like this dude's fucking he's a renaissance man he's incredible yeah and then and then what proceeded was like 10 years of me knowing that and and for some reason no one else wanting to know that until <laughs> lynn put him in a play <laughs> like me like peddling david's career and everyone being like this dude's a fucking genius sorry and <laughs> And and really, like, with the exception of, like, the theater community who totally embraced him and loved him, loved him and thought he was a genius, but, like, and on the local level in the Bay Area, right. nobody, nobody, no one really acknowledged that he was such a triple, quadruple threat. And then he got on Broadway and people were like, oh, my God, who is this genius? And, like, this same genius. Yeah. <laughs> we've been, tr- we've, he's been on YouTube for a decade. Yeah. Doing exactly that. Like, singing and rapping and dancing. See him, like, five years later, he's like, by the way, I've done everything. I went to Brown. Yeah. Here, right? <laughs> like, yeah. The dude's like the, the, the overachiever of the century. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. I like, I knew it first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, all of you are late <laughs> by a lot. Uh, so would you, would you consider yourself a musician? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Probably before anything else. I think like that's probably the most consistent thing that, that we've done. I don't know that we've done it to any particular level of success. <laughs> well, now you know? the movie has a large musical element. Oh yeah. Like it, it plays out in such different ways than I think, like if you're a music head, like if I'm sitting with a bunch of people who've spent their entire time exclusively in the music industry, I'm nobody to them. If you zoom out a little bit and you mm-hmm. see like 
oh, we did this. We've done this. We've done a bunch of plays that have all this heightened language stuff. We run a verse in theater program heightened that essentially language. heightened language. Ooh. Yeah, we're gonna get there. Um, <laughs> we we run a, a theater in verse program at the public theater. It's one of the most prestigious theaters in the world, and that's and that's all about like the intersection of of heightened language, which is like essentially music or musical speech and theater. Um, we and we've recorded. I mean, me and Dix has three or four albums with clipping he has a solo album a solo hip-hop album i have three albums we have seven we have like six or seven mixtapes together we've got placements on a bunch of like random tv shows and we spend most of our time like now talking to tv and film about like well here's the music we want to do here's the did we want to do like it's been it's been the and his tony is in a musical you know yeah. like the and and the reason that is is because all of his dna has been working in this capacity for so long but i think what we knew early on um oh that list keeps going we were like we were on the for the in the bay we were on the radio for a, a long time that was with a big you know catalyst for us like to local yeah on, on like all, all the clear channel like even when we were going back and doing the press tour for this movie it was so fun to see all the djs because they were like it's so interesting depending on where you are in New York, they're like David and company. <laughs> and yeah, in the Bay Area, yeah. they're like Rafa. We've known your career for ten years. You've we've played your music here. We've like we've followed you forever. It's so like it's so weird to see you act in a movie. You know, yeah. like their their scope of who I am is totally different. And then there's a whole world that just knows me as a poet, and they're trying to like reconcile that with this. It's just fun to watch something be big enough that all these different disciplines that have known you in a silo, yeah, suddenly see it sort of all coming together. But I think we've always been we've always been such sort of multidisciplinary artists that it's never, we've never quite fit into any of the buckets that made us feel entirely comfortable. Like we'd sit with the theater kids and it would feel a little out of place. And we'd sit with the music kids and they'd be like, they're sort of musicians, but they're kind of weird in something else. And they're not wrong. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we're, we're a little bit more hybrid and that puts us in a, that puts us in a different box in people's heads for the most part. Yeah. It's crazy how just knowing so many people who have come from the same area, it seems like, the Bay Area really nurtured your artistic drive. Oh, like yeah. it was a supportive place to be in. You know, you talk about local stations having played your music. Yeah. I feel like that's rare that you come from an area that's just, just being from there makes you feel so connected to someone else that they're just willing to get behind you 100%. It's a, it's a place that, that everyone, <clears throat> like all the artists that are collectively agreed doesn't get enough recognition for its contribution to sort of the larger conversation in the arts. This is why this, like, I remember moving to, moving to LA. I didn't know, um, I didn't know Niles really, um, or, or, or anyone sort of associated with the cataracts. I just knew that. Yeah. They, for those who don't know, Niles is one of our mutual friends yeah. who it, Sorry, now goes by Cashmere. Uh, <laughs> Big DJ and no was one of the pop members of the pop group The Cataracts. But there was there was them like Colin Tilly was like a year or two younger than me at Berkeley High, but in the same small schools program. Like my sister was his his chaperone to Mexico when they went as like a school trip sophomore year. That's how I knew Colin. That's it. Yeah, and I remember getting to a and there's and that list goes on and on and on of like Bay Area people, whether from Oakland or from Berkeley. Um. They were all practicing artists. I mean, you know, the uh, I would run into like Nick Knack, who's a big producer yeah. when I first got to LA, and I would run into um, I don't know, like just all these different artists that are from there, and you sort of you sort of just check in with each other and go, okay, 
Like, I don't really know you, but like, I have to clock you. Yeah. And we, and, it, and we probably should be around each other because there's a good chance that we'll get along. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have so we have so much in common. And we also have a little bit of the same Napoleon complex about like trying to make a big splash coming from a place that like generally doesn't get acknowledged for it, even if the art is is worthy of it. Mm-hmm. And especially when you start seeing people like Colin and like Niles and like Nick and all these folks like doing things that merit real recognition. It's admirable and it's exciting to watch. Um, Colin Tilly and I hadn't really had a real a real sit down conversation until uh, until he started seeing pop ups for the film and we started like it was sort of you know we started talking in a way that that's like we sort of know each we know each yeah. other <laughs> like we yeah. know a lot about each other we've been tracking each other for years what's up man and the shorthand is so easy and I think you get there because you have so many things. that are in common about your context and, and you see how hard the other one works and is trying to make things happen um, that you just immediately feel a kinship there. Yeah. Um, It was, uh, and Niles probably doesn't even remember this, but Niles had uh, only knew me in the context, I think of poetry when we started seeing each other in LA Um, didn't know anything about music, didn't know anything about theater or screenwriting or this and how, why, why would he? Um, And I remember after us talking in his kitchen for like 20 minutes he was like, you should just like do, because it's Niles, you should just do like a thing where you just like talk. <laughs> You're like really good at that. <laughs> I was like, you don't know me well enough to give me that advice, but you're not wrong. <laughs> And then I went and I did this web show called The Rafatix for a year oh, off I of that, that off of that advice. And I went to New York with that show and I got meetings at at like five or six of the late night shows off of that advice. Yeah. And I and I'll and like as much as like I was already thinking about it, it was like a really smart, insightful nudge from a person who like, because we understood the same context, felt really comfortable being like, you know what I see in you right now? <laughs> and me being like sure (laughs) you know and letting that shit sort of fester and stir and i love those moments i love those moments and those sort of collective communal experiences in la where you like overlap with people who come from the same context and like you just kind of get whether it's an an energetic boost or an emotional boost or an, an affirmation that you're sort of on the right track like that's that's to me what i value most about bay area people it's like no matter where you are in the world if you see if you hear somebody is from the bay and you're not in the bay area they're immediately the person you love most in the room right which is fucking amazing like that's some super hometown love shit and the same thing comes with all those radio djs it comes from like oh we did early screenings of our movie and like hammer showed up like MC Hammer was like, oh, I'm going to come. Oh, my God. I like, like that you just referred to him as Hammer. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's like, oh, cat. Yeah. You know, like like those 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 moments where like these legendary people are just like, yeah. I, I know MC Hammer was from the Bay. Oakland. You know? and But like, but old, like old to new. Like Hammer being, like Hammer and Too Short and 40 being like some of the OGs who all supported the film. To like... Kailani being super supportive mm-hmm. of the film and being like, I went and saw it with my family and loved it, you know, and yeah. like putting that out into the world. That's that continuum of hometown love is rivaled only by other cities that have that same complex about like not feeling, not feeling acknowledged. That's what Atlanta was for years. That's what Chicago still is all the time. And New York, like in and out, whenever New York feels like it's not number one. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> New York is so weird. New York, if like, New York falls to the number two slot, they're like, wait, don't forget about yeah. us. Like, no one forgot about you. Yeah. Do you ever feel stressed or anxious? 
If you're like me, <laughs> the answer is yes. So how is it that you cope? That's why we're excited to partner with Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was even named Apple's 2017 app of the year. Calm gives you the tools you need to live a happier, healthier, and more mindful life. Just five minutes of Calm can change your whole day. If you head to calm.com slash factually, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, focus, and relationships, including a brand new meditation each day called The Daily Calm. Sleep stories. They're like bedtime stories for grown-ups, and so much more. For a limited time, Factually Speaking listeners can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash factually. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com slash factually. That's calm.com slash factually. There's something for everyone with HelloFresh's selection. Three plants to choose from, either classic, veggie, or family if you've got lots of people. Rediscover the excitement of cooking without having to plan dinner or spend money on takeout or worrying about gathering ingredients week after week. HelloFresh believes cooking should be simple and convenient, not a chore. So you won't have to spend all night in the kitchen because each meal only takes about 30 minutes to prepare. There are many benefits of subscribing, so you can keep enjoying HelloFresh week after week. Get delicious filling meals delivered right to your door every week for less than $10 per serving and free shipping. Last night, I made the grilled Harissa Spice Chicken. It was awesome, and I don't even know how to cook. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash Factually60 and enter promo code Factually60. That's HelloFresh.com slash Factually60, promo code Factually60. Just do it and make your life easier. So what, you know, you knew you wanted to, or you were offered to do a movie. Did you always want to incorporate the musical aspect into it? Did one come before, like, did you have the songs before you had the movie or we did have the we had the verse sections early um i think i wrote pretty much all of them in a really early draft as placeholders Mm -hmm. um one or two i think came in the last draft or updates of them but i would write we we knew early on that we were both going to do a lot of a lot of these like heightened language or verse moments. Yeah, or what rap. is heightened language? Is heightened like- language just sort of means it's the same way that you would that you would refer to like when a, when a musical number comes in a musical, mm-hmm. you're essentially going into song because the emotional um, breadth of the moment requires it to sort of like come, like lift up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like the the character is so emotional or so angry or so whatever that it, we need to see an expression of it larger than just them like yelling at a wall. Um, and so that's why we, that's how we excuse going into a song. Like, Got it. you know, someone, someone's so upset. They just like break into song. Um, we sort of use heightened language in the same way. It's sort of like if you're watching, if you're watching Shakespeare and somebody starts like getting worked up, it gets more and more dense. Yeah. Same, same, uh, same theory. Um, and so we have these, these different versions of it throughout the film. There's a, a beauty salon scene where Miles is selling um, flat irons to a to a, a salon full of black and brown women, and uh, and it's actually all in verse, 
even though it's really, really buried. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's a scene where Miles is selling a sailboat and it's, and it's not in bar form, but it is all heightened. It's all heightened derivative slang. Um, and so we're trying to get the ear comfortable with this idea. So by the time we get to this climactic scene with David, it doesn't come out completely out of nowhere. Right. You've sort of been conditioned to get used to your, your ear having to stretch for, for more dense, more metaphorical language. Um, so we'd write a lot of that early. I always thought that it was temp and that David would go back and want to tweak the parts that he was going to do. And then he didn't, <laughs> <laughs> which is beautiful, which is a testament to like how well I know how to write for Yeah. Because he's an yeah. amazing, he's an amazing lyricist and rapper and, and poet in his own right. Um, but we've been around each other so long. I think he just picked it up and was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for the final scene that he's in, he changed like four, I think it's, it's like 38 bars. He changed four or, or eight at the most. And then went with everything I wrote. Um, and so that's been in, that's been in the longest, really, that's the thing that we knew how to do. What we didn't know how to do was write a script. Right. You know, like this, this has, even though we've written a lot of scripts since then, this was the first script that we ever um, that we were ever tasked with writing. So it was so much more about like, oh, we know we're going to end with this scene with him and this face off and this, and this verse section. How do we, how do we reverse engineer an entire script? So it can start as a comedy with two guys and get to this place yeah. and really just like right, right to the middle. And you guys did an amazing job. Thanks, if man. I do say so myself. Um, how did you guys come up with the name blind spotting? What does that really mean? Uh, blind spotting is I was looking for, a psychology term um, that talked about um, sort of uh, uh, unconscious bias or unconscious unconscious inference, and um, essentially what it what it means is there's this there's this thing in like or if you take like a, a psychology one a mm-hmm. there's a thing called Rubens vase that pops up it's a draw if you if you if I showed it to you you'd be like oh yeah I've seen it before it's like two faces or a vase depending on how you look at it okay um, essentially what it's telling you is if you look at it really quickly and your brain immediately goes two faces or it immediately goes, Oh, it's a vase. And your second, your second thought is, Oh, and there's also some faces there. Um, your unconscious mind is more inclined to see vases over faces or your unconscious mind is like more drawn to faces than vases. And it's a simple test. It doesn't, that doesn't reveal anything about you except that like you're more inclined to like recognize a face than an object. Right. Um, but how it plays out in the real world is like if you are watching the news, for example, and they show you, um, and this is what the film is about, they show you a, a, a black man and they write like convicted felon um, accused of X, Y, Z or shot by police. Your whole life of experience has conditioned you to see that one way or another way. Right. Because of how you've been raised in the world, how, what you've had reinforced positive and negative. Um, tells you what you're always going to see first. And the the way that the conscious mind works is you have to actively tell your mind, oh, there's another thing there. And so what blind spotting essentially means is you've been conditioned your entire life to see things a certain way. And if you have any hope of seeing it another way or from anyone else's perspective, you have to, you have to actively work for it. It's not something that will naturally come to you. And that's true for not just like white people seeing the plight of people that are disenfranchised or poor or people of color in this country. It's just that everyone has a way in which they are, they're unconsciously conditioned to see the world because of the way they were raised. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see it any wider than that, you have to spend active time every day going, what am I missing? 
what what does this person see or this group of people see that I don't see that's really important to them that isn't important to me because of the way that I've lived my life. Yeah. Um, and so blind spotting is the slang term that we came up with because the Bay Area is all about sort of innovating language. We wanted to come up with a slang term that essentially would encompass that idea. So I could say like, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I, I feel this way, this way, and this way about this person. Like we were talking earlier about the Kardashians. Yeah. But really like I'm just like, I'm blind spotting in some way. You know, like I'm, or I, I probably have a big blind spot here. And we sort of immediately know what that means. Yeah, I get it. How do you guys plan on expanding on this project? Do you plan to keep going with this? Um, I think I saw online that you guys were working on music. Yeah, so we put out the Colin EP right around the release of the movie, which is like all music themed to David's character. And then the Miles EP comes out, um, I think in like two weeks or something okay. like that. When does this air? Uh, next week. Next week, cool. Yeah, I think we'll have everything clear by then. Um, we have like a bunch of really great features on that and like it's more themed towards Miles' narrative in the film. Um, but we did that with uh, with Republic. Um, and uh, that's been awesome. That's That's been us getting to flex our sort of our yeah. music muscle, right? Getting to sort of score the film uh, in hindsight, having the film already come out and seeing the conversations that have happened from it. And then it releases in the UK, I think on October 5th, that's which is the whole movie. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it goes so into cool. theaters in the UK, which is dope. Uh, I super want to fly out there and just like see what it, see how it plays in another country. I'm so curious. Yeah. Um, Do you guys have any events planned for there? I don't or no? That's like the, they sort of just email me like a week before. And they're right. like, "You're getting on a plane." I'm like, "Okay, okay." Yeah. Um, and then we're up like Diggs is in Canada doing uh, Snowpiercer on TNT, which is like the new TV show that he's starring in. Um, awesome. And uh, and we're working on a couple other films with with other studios now, and it's fucking cool, man. Congrats, thanks, dude. Where can uh, people check out some more of your stuff? Oh, just just <laughs> type my name into YouTube, and, and good luck with that rabbit hole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good luck with that. I'm so you know what? It's weird. I've had this complete other swing since the movie came out. When I first. Like all of my time in my career was always like, here's where everything is. Find it. Here's the newest video we did. Here's the newest. My website like had everything on it. The minute the movie came out, I was like, shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> shut the website down. I was like, you know what? If it pops up, great. Right. But the movie really is the most interesting collection of all like of our 15 year careers up until this point. So now I'm just kind of like, watch the movie, listen to the music. Yeah. If you don't dig that, you don't fuck with us. Right. <laughs> and, and everything else, like all the, the comedy stuff we've done online and other music stuff, I'm like, that's the fun now is we have so many more doors open. Now we get to do those things, but on a higher scale and better. So now I'm really just sort of excited for like what the next five years are. Because now we'll get to do things like in a more uh, conducive way towards making them not suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome. Yeah, man. Thanks, Rafa, for coming on. Hell yeah. This has been Factually Speaking. New episodes every Thursday. Thanks for listening to Factually Speaking, a CastBox original podcast. We have new episodes every week. Please rate and review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.